Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. I am half of your hosts, Catherine Troyer, and I'm so excited because I get to do one of my favorite things, uh, which is to interview amazing people who are contributing to the world of horror. And today I'm joined by David Jack Fletcher. Hello. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. So now I'm going to embarrass David Jack and myself by reading a bio. So David, you Jack, you just have to like listen to me read the words, um, and I will try to only semi-slaughter the ones that have R's in them. So David Jack Fletcher is a writer and scholar hailing from Australia. With a PhD in cultural studies from Macquarie University, he has written for over a decade in an academic setting before, his words, jumping out of academia to pursue his dream of becoming a horror author and editor. To that end, he has a postgraduate certificate in editing and publishing from the University of Southern Queensland, and he completed an internship with Sydney-based Spineless Wonders and was awarded a mentorship with the Australasian Horror Writers Association, undertaken with award-winning author Paul Mannering in 2022. David Jack has published short stories in several horror anthologies across the UK, the US, and Canada, and has appeared in international podcasts and interviews. Furthermore, his debut gay horror comedy, The Haunting of Harry Peck, was published by Rack and Rune Publishing in February 2022 and became an international Amazon bestseller. And his latest award-winning novel, Raven's Creek, is now available through all major retailers published through his own imprint, Slashic Horror Press. And if you visit the description of this or if you look on the end of the episode, you can see the link tree link for all things David Jack. Okay, it is time to begin. So I always like to start with a weird question or a question that can kind of get the ball rolling before we jump into the like deep philosophical thoughts about horror. So if you could adapt any non-horror text, and that could be film, literature, games, whatever you wanted it to be, into a horror movie, what would you pick and why? Okay. I have to tell you, I stumbled on this one for about a week because everything that I was thinking of was pretty much very derivative of like evil dead or like uh -huh. my favorites. You know? So, and then I started to think, um, everything that I was doing was essentially recreating the final girl or uh -huh. a woman as the villain. And I thought far out, that is really, really bad. What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> so, um, and because of my, um, teaching and studies and yeah. in, um, in gender studies and all that, I just kept thinking to myself, Barbara Creed from The Monstrous Feminine, yep, she would yep. be, she would slash my throat. Yeah, she'd like, be real <laughs> upset and I would not want to see her in a fight. She's And uh, uh, right. So I was like, I need to step back a little bit, think about this a little bit more deeply. And what I came up with was Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh my gosh. Okay. Tell me more. So <laughs> I used to love Thomas the Tank Engine as a kid. And I just remember it being so wholesome and like they would deal with the other trains, anxieties and problems and they'd all work together and it was all cutesy and yes. fun. And I thought, screw that. I'm going <laughs> to change things up a little bit. So my idea was Thomas the Tank Engine. And it turns out that the fat controller, mm -hmm. not my words, that's the character, <laughs> um, turns out to be the devil, yeah. right? And he makes a deal with Thomas that he can travel along any railway network in the world, mm. but he has to pay the devil in human hearts. Oh, that's interesting. I so like he can go and 
fulfill his dreams of international travel and like see the world and do all of his stuff. Yes. And, you know, Thomas in Italy, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, but he ha he's essentially a serial killer now. So does he kill like people who board his train or is it a little bit like the trolley experiment where, you know, like he's like running over people? Like how is he getting the yeah. hearts or, and so if you did not spend that, it. yeah. Far going. That's okay too. <laughs> way, I actually did like fully think this through. <laughs> so um, the way that I imagine it is that he runs people over. Okay. And like the body parts and all that would sort of, because he's got his face at the front. Sure, sure. He essentially digests them and the heart would um, sort of go into a different section of his mm. um, body, like where the coal is normally stored. Yes. And that's, he keeps up his like piggy bank sort of of, yes. um, of hearts to feed the Excellent. to pay the devil. And so, is is he going to have a moment of crisis in this film and, and like rebel, or is it just going to be like a wonderful slaughter through Italy? <laughs> I feel like it's not Thomas that that rebels. I feel like it's more he makes the news because it's like kill a train. Right going around like globally slaughtering people don't catch this train and whatever and so he starts like disguising himself oh. as different sorts of trains fantastic. and there's like some sort of like um train mechanical engineer that sort of yes. puts the clue together like forensic science <laughs> you know there's a real uh like call for that type of stuff right now i haven't seen it yet in part because I don't know if one recovers from it, but you know, there's the Winnie the Pooh and the blood honey. Mm -hmm. And then so I just yeah. learned that Steamboat Willie is now in the cop. It's copyright free now. It's in the public domain. And they've already like teased the Steamboat Willie horror. Um, now Mickey's still, of course, copyrighted, but not Steamboat Willie. So, you know, all you have to do is just wait for someone to have a, a, re a lapse in their public domain stuff. And you could have Thomas yeah. the... Do you have a good title for it? I feel like I was trying to on the um, spot. No, I okay. I didn't get that far. Yeah. Um. No. Okay. But I I did also see that Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey has a sequel coming. That's the. So it must have hit. It must have struck. You know. Nerve. Yeah. I, I did. You didn't see it, did you? Not yet. No, okay, I'm waiting yeah. for it to. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Because I. I did not have the strength to see that in theaters, just on the off chance it was as bad as I'm pretty sure it is, even if it's a delightful bad. Well, I would see it, so that's great. Um, what I love about that answer and why I like to do things like this is that, you know, like it it ends up yielding all these really fascinating things. And so I'm noticing that there's some some lovely parallels between this imagination of Thomas the Train and, and some of the other stuff you're doing, right? Which is a lot of that line of where is comedy and where is horror and where are we screaming and where are we laughing? So yeah. one of the things that is fun about your writing uh, and is true for all the big projects you have is that you're often playing with different generic convention conventions, um, such as in your novella, The Haunting of Harry Peck. And for those of you listening, I was telling uh, David Jack that this morning, it was like the gift that kept on, kept on uh, giving. I, I started laughing because I was like, oh, Peck, I get it now. Because, um, of course, there, it's about a chicken haunting. So could you discuss what you see as the relationship and value between blending horror and comedy or horror and some of the other genres that you're doing? Because I know that you're working on, um, you're still working on the vampire project. That's not done yet, is it? 
It is done. Oh, yes. congratulations. That awesome. comes out in April. Oh my so. gosh, that's so exciting. But I know that one is also sort of blending and playing with genres. So what is it about that like moment of intersections mm-hmm. that you find so rich? I guess, gosh, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, and it is, again, something that I had to sort of really think my way through because for me, nothing is, nothing should be black and white. Mm-hmm. Nothing should just be like, here are the conventions. Um, and then you go through and you do A, B, C, D, and then you've, you've written a book. Um, I have read a few of those, you know, how to write sort of manuals, mm-hmm. like the Stephen King one, which I don't recommend. Um, and the Chuck Palunic one, which I do recommend. Oh, I haven't read that one. Um, Oh, it's really good. I, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, he makes some really good good points. Um, anyway, so I guess the the intersection of those genres is what can take something from very ordinary or very standard and breathe new life into it because you don't often get um, you know, stories about um, chickens that come back to haunt you because you killed it. Right. Um, and I just thought for, for the haunting of Harry Peck, I kind of just thought how ridiculous is that idea and can it work? Um, and so I sort of just started to think about what's funny about this. Like, is it funny yeah. or is yeah. it just stupid? Um, and can stupid and funny work together? Mm-hmm. Um, but my first love obviously being horror, I thought there was just a lot of potential to put this really naive um youngish person in this extremely crazy situation um and that alone could be really funny um and so i kind of just thought you know for me horror and comedy actually share a lot in common Mm -hmm. because they evoke uh on sort of the, the opposite ends of the same spectrum but they they invoke that sort of abject response you're either laughing your head off and you can feel that like rippling through your body um you know you, the, the crying and everything like that and the wheezing sometimes mm-hmm. and um and then with horror obviously the heart pumping the sweaty palms that sort of extra sensory perception that someone's watching you even though they're not like the right. paranoia and everything and I thought if we can find a way to blend those together, which has been done several times in film mm-hmm. um, and in books, uh, but with a really odd um, take, mm-hmm. that that might be sort of breathe new life into the um, into that sort of horror comedy genre. But with the vampire one, what I well, no one's going to know what it is because it hasn't come out yet. But basically, it's a twist on vampirism. Mm-hmm. So for me, Twilight ruined vampires. Yep. I can't like. I'm sorry to everyone who loves Twilight and whatever. Um, but... I mean, it was it was it broke the mold, right? Regardless, even if you it did love Twilight, which is a decision. Um, you know it it changed it, right? Like it is hard to come back from it, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's definitely value in that. Um, it wasn't my thing, and it did. I can't really watch vampire movies anymore because it just for me it just doesn't do anything um i put on 30 days of night the other day which i used to love and i was just like i haven't seen that one i haven't really seen that one in a while i wonder 
Because, yeah, it was very scary at the time, but I haven't, I don't know if I've watched it post Twilight. It is a good movie, but I kind of just feel like a lot of the the same things are happening in these, um, Mm -hmm. these vampire stories. So what I wanted to do with mine was to see, it was really an experiment for myself to see if I could engage with the, um, the notion of vampirism in a way that I found interesting. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just about, you know, how many bodies can you stack up? It was something about morality and it's something about existentialism, mm. the impending doom or the impending threat of our own death what we would do to save ourselves in that case. Um, And so to do that, I sort of veered away from um, that gothic sort of expectation that people have with with vampirism. And I focused more on like a contemporary setting, not the same as Twilight, but um, (laughs) just a contemporary setting with a really flawed main character who discovers that he's essentially having to give his, his own power over to something greater than him and hmm. he doesn't understand it but he's done it hmm. and to me, there's a lot there's a lot of um similarity in that between well i, I guess there's something familiar in that mm-hmm. with what we do with religion and things you know a higher power that we don't necessarily understand but we're willing to give ourselves all of ourselves to it yeah um and sometimes at our own detriment and those are the sorts of things I wanted to explore in in that book. That's interesting. And I think it does challenge the the genre conventions, um, hopefully. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I liked what you said about Harry Peck and, and wanting to explore, like, at one point, does something feel too absurd? Because, you know, there's a lot of, for me, at least there were a lot of under or over tones um, between your text and, and Poe's Telltale Heart, right? And oh, yes. And and yet, is that really, is having a heart that continues to beat under the floorboards any more absurd than having a, a chicken haunting you, right? Like, it's really not. Um, but in <laughs> fact, in, but if I'm going to have one, chances are the one that would happen to me is a chicken haunting, right? Because I do eat meat, whereas I'm probably not going to murder someone in bury them in my house um so you know like again yeah (laughs) not a second time anyway yes so like i I think what's what's lovely about about your interpretation of of where comedy and horror intersect is that um it's somehow even in its absurdity is is more relatable right like it's it's a quieter source of horror in some ways because it is like more intimate, right? It is like related to what I'm eating and to, you know, what's happening in my house. And that somehow makes it a little scarier, right? Like, again, I, I won't lie. I don't, I'm not yet, I haven't yet added that to my list of, of irrational fears. Um, but who knows, let's give it a little bit more time. And, and that may be one too. But, but I, I think about all the times that like, like I had a nightmare the other day that my mom told me she didn't love me. That's never going to happen. My mom loves me very much, but like that yeah. still sits with me, but it's so absurd. Right. And so I really liked the ways that you found how to make that which is laughable normally just a little scary uh, and that was really that was really lovely so thank you for thank doing you. that yeah absolutely <laughs> i um i really wanted to sort of with all the rhetoric in australia at least and i i also believe in the us around veganism mm-hmm. and um you know really challenging those meat eating cultures I was really interested in that at the time. Um, and I'm vegetarian now, but I wasn't 
when I wrote it, I was right. a full oh, that's interesting. meat eater. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I went to a rodeo at the start of last year that I was like, I can't do this meat thing anymore, at yeah. least for a while. But anyway, so um, I know a couple of people who are vegans and, and like, that's great. I have nothing against yeah. vegans whatsoever. But I just thought, how interesting is it to sort of think about the way our food influences um, the way we see the world mm -hmm. and our morals and ethics are connected very intimately to what we eat yes. um, and what we drink. And, you know, so a lot of people don't even have dairy milk and I, I, I'm on oat milk at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's sort of this, I mean, it's very much spoken about in terms of veganism, but in general, when people are thinking about, you know, eating meat and you say, why do you eat meat? Um, and there's this sort of, well, everyone eats meat and there's no real justification necessary in a lot of people's minds because that's the way that the world works. So I sort of wanted to sort of challenge that a little bit Yeah. to assume that it might be the way the world works for a lot of people, but what happens if you're in that world and it's not working for you in a really, yes. really weird way? <laughs> and I, I'm probably one of the only people that can say this, but as a kid, I was actually made fun of for not being a vegetarian. So I was raised oh, really? uh, very conservatively. Um, and we have a seventh day Adventist and they have a huge health message. Um, and, and for a while we were the like main producers of most vegetarian meat, but in all my schools, kindergarten through my masters, all the schools I went to were vegetarian cuisine. Most of my friends were vegetarians. Um, and I still don't eat pork or, or shellfish or anything like that. So like I was made fun of for bringing turkey sandwiches to school and stopped doing it very quickly because it was like I was the only one I'm um, out of my entire wow. class. Yeah, again, not most people's experiences. Um, <laughs> but and there was a lot of like you said morals and sort of associations with that because you know people would tell me, oh, what you do is so unhealthy, and then I would see their meals which were like carbs with more carbs and some like cheese. And I was like, this is also not healthy, right? Like just because there's no meat. So, so it's like such a, if you're in that world or if you've been in a world where those conversations are happening, you're right, it is, it shapes everything, mm. everything about your worldview um, and your sense of morals and whether or not you get to judge other people. It's, it's a really complicated thing to try to accomplish in a novella, but it was, I think, well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's one particular image that, um of like meat eating culture that someone said to me years and years ago and it's always it's always stuck in my head and it's the way that people gather around the dinner table at thanksgiving or christmas with this like ceremonial um you know cutting of the of the mm -hmm. ham mm -hmm. or the turkey and it's always up to the you know the head of the household to do that and it's this very sort of like patriarchal mm -hmm. system um that no one sort of really seems to challenge. Yes. Um, that's, just, that, that's just one image that's always stuck with me um, about meat eating culture, which I found very interesting. There's an American artist named Norman Rockwell who does a lot of, who did yeah. a lot of Americana stuff. And he has one, right, where it's one of the freedoms. And it's exactly that, right? It's the patriarchy. It's the patriarch sitting at the head of the table and he's carving some some ham or roast or something. And I swear 
the framing of that shot is nearly identical to some of the framing of the shots in Texas Chainsaw Massacre when they're also having a family <laughs> dinner. And I've never quite been able to get that image out of my head that like these are not that far apart from each other and only one of them is considered yeah. icky. So there's definitely a lot to pursue there, which actually feeds really nicely into the third question because in in this podcast – we talk a lot about the functions of horror through this critical framework um, from a scholar named Linda Holland Toll of affirmative versus disaffirmative. And she says that, you know, affirmative horror portrays the source of horror as threatening our social and cultural value systems, whereas disaffirmative horror ends up revealing that we and our value systems are the, the source of horror. So, mm. Where would you place your own horror within this framework? And I guess it's kind of that question of like, what are your thoughts about what horror, quote, should do? Um, and how, yeah. how do your thoughts about horror, particularly as you're writing horror that's transgressive in a lot of ways, you know, affect the way you think about your stories? I mean, that's a really loaded question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so um, you have five minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like an essay question that you would get in like third year or master's or something, right? And it's yes. like, we've given you so many things to talk about. And now you choose which ones you want to pursue. <laughs> yeah, this is why I always give the questions ahead of time. Because I'm like, yeah. this would be an unfair question to put to someone on the spot. So, <laughs> um, so I think... Obviously, horror has been a place where it's been a space for the other mm -hmm. for as long as, as long as horror has been around, whether it's to highlight social and cultural anxieties about the other. Um, and I think a lot of zombie movies do that quite well, um, you know, especially during the outbreak of, of the AIDS um, epidemic mm -hmm. and things, you know, really othering people that way. Um, or whether it's a space for the other and you know the marginalized to showcase their sameness mm -hmm. or even the use value of their otherness um which i think is really important so you know because a lot of queer people don't want to be seen as the same as as hetero um mm -hmm. sexual people <laughs> right um there is something um to be said for that as well so in Raven's Creek, which is the latest book that's uh, of mine that's come out. And I guess in all my writing, I really want to highlight the ordinariness of queerness. And what yes. I mean by ordinariness is that we're not, you know, these unicorns with superpowers and we're not all trying to hit on you and we're not all, you know, <laughs> like we're not this sort of weird, I'm making these weird shapes with my hands because I don't really know. <laughs> how to actually articulate this properly but there does seem to be this um you know like the us versus them mm -hmm. in a lot of texts and a lot of the way people view queerness um mm -hmm. and the, the trans you know the rhetoric about trans trans people yes. and trans communities is probably the the best one to the best example to think of at the moment um and you know all this stuff about binary and non-binary um but we're still just people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the thing that I find that I'm finding really interesting in exploring my own sort of style or the things I'm interested in writing about is that monstrosity itself is an all too human occurrence. Mm. Um, and so I think that lies in the disaffirmative framework that you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Um, and, 
yeah, I mean, so I have a collection coming out in November as well. I have a lot going on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a long way away, <laughs> Good but for I, wrote you. About, I wrote it about a year ago. It's just, yeah, I put it to the side, but it's, it's actually called Hell is Other People. Oh, And you know, that's very famous um, quote. And I just thought this is perfect because regardless of the subgenre of horror that I'm writing, whether it's creature feature, supernatural, uh, more of a suspense based thing, uh, every story I write seems to be inspired by the idea that we as humans are the source of the horror. Mm -hmm. So we intergenerational trauma that we're sort of starting to only just starting to scratch the surface at with a lot Mm -hmm. of things. We've got um, community-based horror. We've got identity horror. We've got um, all sorts of things that stem from our interactions with other people. Um, And, you know, so ultimately it's it's the human that we should fear. Um, And so in my writing, what I do, obviously that plays for me into things like homophobia, um, but also more general themes like greed and power, um, particularly in Ravens Creek, you've got the greed and the and the the power um, playing there. But what I also try to do is show that in that ordinariness of queerness is that we can be evil as well. Um, and I know that there's that. <clears throat> I, I didn't really want to talk about this because I know it's a bit problematic, but I'm going to anyway because excellent. When they, I sent out Ravens Creek a while back to some beta readers mm. and. Um, one of the points of feedback I got from a few people was you cannot make gay people or queer people evil Mm. today because there are sections um, of the world (laughs) who will use that as an example of why um, gay rights and queer rights in general shouldn't Mm be enhanced. and I thought, well, I understand that, but at the same time, if we want to get past the idea that being queer is so different and so um, alien and so scary, then we need to also not glorify or glamorize gay people mm-hmm. as only being like this beacon of goodness. Um, because I'll tell you, I I'm gay and I've I've got exes and I have ex boyfriends because they were evil. Right. <laughs> Like right. people in general can be bad. Yes. And so what I try to do in my writing is show, um, I write about a lot of couples and there's normally one who's a bit, I'm trying to say this without cursing, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> is a bit evil or, yeah. you know, less than perfect <laughs> anger <laughs> issues and so forth. So, um, and I think that that's really important. Um, not only for mainstream or, you know, like the traditional um, reader, but also for the people who my books are more geared towards, which are other queer people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've had a lot of feedback from other queer readers and queer authors saying, basically, thank you for writing this because mm-hmm. the characters are real and authentic. Um, and so I think that that's, for me, that's, that's really important. I think I went on a massive tangent. With no, that this question. was great, and and you and you started to answer. So I'll I'll skip officially the question, but but one of my other questions, which was, you know, and I think about this a lot as as someone who is teaching horror and and therefore exposing students to it. Now they've signed up for my class, but and it's called topics yeah. in horror, so you know, 
<laughs> they know what yeah. they're getting into. But I, I struggle with the fact that it is historically um, been a vehicle to marginalize, silence, and break over and over again, certain yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and so one of the questions which you just answered, I think, in this discussion about disaffirmative and affirmative is like, how how do we deal with this genre that is often doing that? And I think you have a, a great answer. And it reminds me, I, I read an article about, um, there's a, a writer and everything else named uh, Mindy Kaling, and she does like the Mindy Project. And yeah. and yeah, yeah. The, the article was saying, um, we need to stop blaming her for continuing to create the same character. We need to blame a system that only has one Indian woman writing, yes. right? Yeah. And it was like, we would have more diversity if we would just acknowledge that there can be more people doing this. And I feel like that's what we get when when you're normalizing and, and just saying, hey, by the way, this person happens to also be gay. Okay, let's yeah. let's move on to the story. And and that may mean that this person is mm. going to be haunted or maybe doing the haunting, right? But like, I, I like <laughs> the fact that you allow your characters to just live um, and, and to be humans who are... And humans are kind of monsters, right? So, um, but yes. also they're just, you know, we're just people. So I, I, I really, that was something I found very refreshing because um, I know why you label your stuff the way you do because you probably feel like you have to make sure people know, hey, this is going to be a gay comedy horror just in case you wanted to know. But like, yeah. I felt getting into it that I, it was, I was just reading a, a really interesting story and oh, by the way, it also happened to be a, a gay comedy horror text. And I, that was really yeah. nice. That's a hard, really Thank hard you. line to, to walk, but you did a very good job. So that's exciting. Thank you. I, um, I have had people who are friends, um, and we've discussed this as well. And some of them absolutely love it. And some of them don't. Yeah. And I think that's where the this inevitable political nature yeah. um, has come into it. And I, I totally value that perspective of, you know, you, you you do need to highlight this and you do need to make a point of it to show people that we're here and we're not going away. And I, I, I do understand that and I value it. On the other side, though, is that discussion of people know we're here. Mm -hmm. People already know we're not going away. Mm -hmm. You know, Sydney Mardi is one of the biggest um, parades in the world, mm. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, you know, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, people fly from all over the world to attend that, you know, there are other things happening around the world, yeah. um, I think. And, uh, and <clears throat> so now for me, I would like to get, I personally would like to get past the point of, of reinforcing the message that we're here mm -hmm. and really just start saying or telling people what it is that we can be like. Mm-hmm. You know, we are people, you know, that we're here, but I'm, I'm not the same as you because everyone's different, but you know, I probably have a lot of the same desires and, and needs that you do. And I think that there's something that can really connect, um, or bridge gaps in that. And for me, that's, that can be quite powerful. And I think that's the magic of, you know, again, I'm not sure that the Winnie the Pooh and the Blood Honey is going to be amazing. But the nice thing about it is, is indies, right? Like indie presses and indie films are mm. able to make sure that we get to hear from so many people. Because you, David Jack, should not be responsible for being the only person representing queer horror, right? Like that's, first off, that's an impossible task. But second, like, that's an unfair task. Um, 
But I'd love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be sure to let people know because I'm definitely in charge of making that decision. And then you can just be this anonymous person. But until then, I mean, you've also like you've started in between all those other tiny things like writing several books, um, slash a core press which is another opportunity to make sure that we're getting to hear from all the people that are here, right? All the people that are out there. So I would just love to know several things. One, I, I promised I wanted to know more about your origin story, especially as I learned that you and your um, person who's, I don't even know Lee's last name, Lee. Cross James. Cross James. Um, that you just met in human form for the first time recently. So like, I need to know the origin <laughs> story, but I also just wanted to know what are your goals and hopes for the work and authors that you're representing in your press, because this is this is exciting. I just think it's so great that we live in a world where indie stuff can happen, and not everyone has to rely on exclusively Stephen King uh, to get their horror fix. Yeah, I mean Stephen King is a huge influence on a lot of oh, people, sure. um, and I have my. The own Shining's views on that. one of my favorite books, regardless <laughs> of of like many of the problems. So like you know, he's not. Yeah. Not worth yeah. acknowledging, but also now we have Slash of Horror Press. So like, how did you yes. get here? What are your goals and hopes? I hope that somewhere in your journey, you'll talk about how you, and again, I'm quoting you, jumped out of academia um, to pursue yeah. your dreams. So I'm sure that's all kind of tangled um, in there. Talking to an academic, um, I'm not sure you do want to hear it, but I'll yeah, tell probably I'll, I'll, it's, it's the masochist <laughs> in me that's like, tell me about how I could not be grading. <laughs> so, um, oh God, grading papers, but, um, okay. So. The origin story is essentially comes from Harry Peck. So I wrote that <clears throat> I was putting it into a couple of Facebook groups and trying to get some um, international focus on it. And, and um, I happened to get in touch with another queer author who is American, Mark Allen Gunnels. Mm -hmm. And he's um, prolific. He's written a lot of things, very talented. Um, and now one of our authors and, um, he said to me, if you want to, if you're looking to do interviews or podcasts, that's a great way to get some additional exposure. And I said, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I don't know. Anyway, he gave me the name of, um, the, the names of two people. I did one. Um, that was great. He's an awesome guy. Um, and, but he's not queer. And that sort of, I found he's an ally. Absolutely. Sure. And, you know, I love, I love allies, but there is that sort of connection between people who sort of have that unspoken, but shared history in mm -hmm. terms of our experiences and, you know, the whole, like having to come out and everything. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Lee, the other mm -hmm. name that he gave me was, yeah. Lee. so, um, he created a group chat, Mark created a group chat for us to introduce us. And then Lee and I went off and started talking and we hit it off. Like it was like, That's now me. we talk every day, uh, multiple times a day, even despite the time difference. But yeah, how big is the off. time difference? Uh, I'm 11 hours in front. Oof, that's rough. Yeah. Especially, so, is he also well. a morning person? Like, is that? No, he's, okay. He's not. Okay. So that makes <laughs> it easier. Really okay. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> He's like, I'm bamboozled, leave me alone. Like, have your coffee. Just anyway, so um, <laughs> we just started texting. He's an author as well. So he wrote Camp Silver Oaks, um, which mm. is a YA um, gay novella. Awesome. Um, and he, he has done really well with that. Anyway, 
um, he runs a podcast or he ran a podcast that we're now relaunching. Yay. And I was on that. And then after that, it was like, oh, you know, we, we just sort of found each other interesting in terms of what we were working on. Mm. Um, <clears throat> just developed over there. And then one day I was sitting on the couch um, and this is about the, this is what prompted me to start Slash Horror, yeah. which used to be titled Bare Bones Press because I love my gay bears. <laughs> and, um, and, and so was it spelled B-E-A-R? Bones? Oh, yeah. Was it, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it turns out there's a similar similarly named press in the US and we got threatened with legal action. So we oh. were like, let's just change the name. We're yeah. like way too early to be dealing with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, and then the name of Lee's podcast was Slashic Horror um, podcast. Nice. And we thought, well, if we're going to relaunch, uh, well, I'm getting a bit ahead of, a bit ahead of myself. So I was, um, I was shopping Raven's Creek around mm -hmm. and I had a bit of interest from a couple of presses. I had a couple of meetings, um, mm -hmm. with publishers and there were some that I just had a lot of red flags with. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought there were, there were a few, I love what they're doing for them. Mm -hmm. It works for them. Um, and the market is so big that everyone can be doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a place for one, and I love that. What I found though, was that a, a, a lot of the presses were saying that they, they love BIPOC submissions and they love, um, LGBTQ plus submissions. Which is great, but the central focus of the business was not to elevate queer voices. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and for me, that's what I wanted to be a part of. And I was literally sitting on the couch that's just out of, out of view of the mm -hmm. camera one day. And I, I said to my husband, I want to start my own press and mm -hmm. why can't I do that? And he was like, well, you could. So oh I messaged Lee, said, Lee buddy, what, uh, <laughs> what do you think about this idea? And I just laid it out in about a paragraph of text. And he said, he was like, I'm all in, this sounds oh amazing. Gosh. So without even having met in person, um, and no video calls or anything at that point, the only wow. time we'd seen each other's we'd spoken, um, over video was on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> But we, as I said, we just really got along and we have a bit of a trust in each other, um, which doesn't come easy for either of us, I think. Yeah. And so we, we sort of knew we can trust each other with this. Mm -hmm. No one's going to try and steal it, you know, um, do their own thing. And we're so, we're both bound by this idea that the world needs this press. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Leith Press, who is a UK based publisher and they are queer as well. Oh, that's great. And they're in horror. Um, they've been established for a long time and they're doing great work. So, but I thought I can do this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I can do it in a, we can do it in a different way. Um, and so far I think it's working as soon as we opened for submissions. I was like, I was falling over myself because I thought we'll get one or two, you know, yeah. got, it was hectic. Good for um, you. And it was amazing. 
one of the things that has actually legitimately made me cry um, several times <laughs> is that I get, we get emails and I get personal messages from people <clears throat> telling me, um, saying thank you for existing hmm. and that our press means a lot to them as a reader or as an author um, because of what we're doing. And essentially what we're doing is elevating um, elevating queer authors, their stories and their horrors, um, which I absolutely love doing. And that's probably our primary goal for the press is to do that. Um, yeah, so it's it's just been, it's been, I don't know, a bit of a crazy journey. Yeah. Um, and we had to sort of figure things out on the fly because right. you've got book cover artists you've got this whole ai thing that i huh. i'd rather not get into but it's really difficult to avoid uh-huh. you've got to be really savvy to avoid it um you've got um twitter <laughs> which people start trouble on you know all the time yes and so far we've managed to avoid that wow and i think that yeah well i think it's because we put ourselves out there really transparently um Mm -hmm. you say we're unapologetically queer Mm -hmm. and if you don't like that we're not for you and that's totally fine um but if you do like that buy buy one of our books submit to us you know Mm -hmm. um and we try to be honest with people and just real with people about what they can expect from us what they shouldn't expect from us um and so I guess that's one of the other goals as well is to be really supportive of the horror community in general, mm-hmm. uh, of the indie horror community more specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made some great contacts with some other publishers who have been so helpful. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, it's really nice. And it's what I didn't expect, but what has just kind of revealed itself to me is that indie publishers and indie authors really do want to lift people up. Yeah. It's not the same as traditional publishing where it's like a sort of a eat each other sort yes. of world. Um, so, you know, these other presses who have been helping, who helped us out in the early stages, they did it for free. They didn't ask for anything in return. It was just like, we want to see you guys succeed. Mm. And that made me cry too, because it's just like, yeah, it's like, wow, I, I didn't realize that we were, we were impacting so many people and that so many people would actually want this, um, to work. So it's been really nice. That's fantastic. Now is Lee's, um, why novella, is it horror or? Yes. Okay. Okay. And so I just wasn't sure if like he also on top of everything else also did another non-horror genre, uh, no, no, okay. he's okay. he's absolutely horror. So his his uh, it's the first in a trilogy, Ooh. and I do believe we can expect the next two books um, soonish. Yeah. So, but the first one is something really important that he does, in my view, is um, he highlights bisexuality. Mm, that's so important and for me. I think it is crucial because you know we've got this spectrum of lettering for you know the queer community but a lot of people within that outside of it and within it Mm -hmm. don't actually believe it 
believe bisexuals exist and it just blows my mind yeah it's one of those things i'm like i don't understand what you don't understand <laughs> you know like <laughs> like what's the problem here yeah. um so f for his work to do that and it was a very natural um it wasn't like a big political statement right this is bisexual it was just it unfolded in dialogue or conversation um and it was just done so well and i think it that that's a really important part of his book. Hmm. Um, I hope he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> At the very least, but, you can um, text him and be like, hey, shout out was made. <laughs> yes, Kurt, exactly. Favors were so, curried. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So he also plays with genre conventions because he set it up like a slasher. Oh. Um, and then it ends up being something a bit different to that. So oh, I won't I'm spoil excited. it. Yeah, because I need to um, like add it to my list. <laughs> and do you find that like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that comes through the press do you do you find that it's often playing with conventions of of the genre almost by like default of it being queer or is it or are there some that are just like unabashedly very obviously horror and also yes that i would say that um and you know i don't think everything has to mm -mm transgress or you know question um traditional conventions and things i think that's a stylistic choice that's mm -hmm. something that you know it's part of the authorial voice it's part of the the author's vision um and so we we, we really try to respect what the author is trying to get at with their work um and there have been some the one that's coming out uh in ten well January 15. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's written by Kat Velour. Shout out to Kat. Um, and she's written this novella called the desert Island game, mm. which, you know, it's about the, you know, the five questions, what would you bring um, yes. to the end of the world or, you know, the, the Island. Um, but it takes place after the apocalypse, mm. Mm. the two last people surviving on a desert Island after the apocalypse. Oh, that's interesting. And it's just that premise alone. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. They're not in like the that. apocalypse. Yeah. It's like the end of the world is way over there in the distance. And we're here on this island hmm. with no escape. And what's going to happen there? So it's very character driven, but it's also very, um, you know, it's like got contemporary themes like gaslighting and power hmm. imbalances. But when both of the characters are women, um, mm. the the power dynamic there tends to change between when it's a man and a woman. Right. Um, and so I find that really interesting. It's a great book. I'm super excited for yeah, it to come out. Yeah, that's very neat. Um, and she's super talented, so we can expect a lot more from from Kat. And it's um, called the Desert Island Game. You said. Yes. Excellent. It's and available. What did... for, uh, I will plug it. It's Please. available for pre-order. Perfect. <laughs> By the and, time the podcast comes out, it's yes. probably going to be out. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. We have wide distribution, okay. so it's yeah. I was going to ask, do you have a preference of where people are buying? Um, I think the preference is probably Amazon, and I know that that's. I know they are corporate overlords, but you know. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people do place um, emphasis on Amazon book ratings mm -hmm. because of the connection Amazon has to Goodreads. Right, right. So, you know, if we get another number one Amazon bestseller, 
it does tend to look good. Mm-hmm. Also, it's cheaper. People have signed up for, um, you know, prime benefits and things, so they get free delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does end up working out better for the person. But there is a website called Godless. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm-mm. So Godless is, um, it's not queer. It's just horror. Oh. And it's an online store. Oh. ebook book only. Um, most of our titles are on there and, you know, we, we will be adding more of our titles as we go, but it's run by Drew Stepek and he's awesome. So he's got this website, it's, it's godless and it's like underground horror. Hmm. So you've got extreme, you've got, you know, um, general quiet horror, you've got everything on there that Hmm. people want to submit. And I've been trying to tell people buy the digital copies from there and then yeah. buy the if you want the paperback buy the paperback from from amazon yeah or somewhere that you're going to get free shipping perhaps right um but absolutely check out godless because there's so much content on there that people don't put on amazon hmm. um, and it's it's also there are also lots of queer titles on there oh, that's great um, yeah it's it's definitely it is underground right so yeah it's like yeah a club almost but um yeah, definitely check that out. Perfect. And I think I cut you off when you were saying the title of Lee's first book in the trilogy. Camp Silver Oaks. Okay, perfect. Yes. So it's that sort of inspired by Sleepaway Camp, I believe. Yes, that sort of style of horror. Yeah, okay. it's really cool. And in five years, five years feels reasonable. Um, where would you like, like, in five years' time, what would it take for you to say I've achieved exactly what I've wanted to achieve when it comes to slash a horror press? Oh. Which again was a question that I didn't brace you ahead of time. So feel free to like take a moment because I realized that was a big question. I just gently. Yeah. Away. Um, I guess it's, it's a bit difficult to say. The thing that I would really like to see happen is our titles winning awards mm-hmm. and getting um, a lot of mainstream recognition. Um, still, I, I, I always want to stay indie. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like, sell out to, you know, Simon and Schuster or whatever. Right. Um, but if our, if our authors can get a lot more recognition for the amazing work they're doing, that to me would just be really special. And I think that I could... I could hold my head up high and say that I've achieved something really, really nice with that. And is that what, cause I would, I would rather lay down and slowly die than be a full-time editor. Um, mainly cause the edited <laughs> collection that I did, which was academic, we started it before the pandemic. So like, and then we yep. had to carry it through during the pandemic. But is that like one of the things that a indie editor does? Like, is it your job to be getting it out there before, before people who make awards and and give awards like is that part of what you're doing in addition to twittering and stuff yeah so um i've got a list of um i guess awards that run every year or you know how often however often they run um it's tricky because i can't just put every book up for every award so you know you've got the lambda literary awards Mm -hmm. um which really cool so a couple of those, um, a couple of the the titles that we have, will be going up for that um, in twenty twenty four. Not for 
for 2023. I missed the deadline. <laughs> and, um, and, but yeah, so that is something that I do. Um, and I am always kind of collecting email addresses and things for um, ARC readers who are mm -hmm. super important to the publishing process um, to get early reviews and help spread the word and things like that. So, um, but what I, so Lee's our marketing and um, advertising guy and mm -hmm. he does it really well. Um, and he always says to the authors, the best sort of promotion is self-promotion. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the author still has to take some accountability, do things like podcasts, interviews, um, update their blog, mm -hmm. you know, do a couple of posts on social media. They still need to have be an active participant um, in their own um, advertising or marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's only so much that we can do for them, um, but everything that we can do, we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, or wanting to do and it's on the list sort of you know you yes. know what i mean it's we're a two-person operation so it's a little bit tricky sometimes um but we're really excited to launch this year um live book launches so yeah it's they'll be on instagram yeah so last year we were sort of thinking how do we do how do we do a successful book launch when i'm in australia lee's in the uk most of the authors are in the US. <laughs> By the time I'm having my breakfast, you know, they've been dreaming for four hours. Like, right. right. Um, so it's, so we, uh, I sort of just chatted to Lee about, you know, do you want to do just like a, an Instagram live? Um, and we'll, we'll try and figure it out as we go because I've never done a live Instagram yeah. before. Um, it seems super easy. But we're and we're really excited to be able to to sort of launch that. How, however successful they are is however successful they are. But we want to do it anyway because it gets the author the opportunity to tell all their friends or their family, everyone in their network, "Hey, I'm doing a live yeah. um, thing," you know. And it might help sales, it might not, but at least it's going to get some more exposure um, for the author. So yeah I'm, I'm really excited and the first one is the 15th of january yes um, which this it, episode may not be out in time for but if i can <laughs> okay. i'll try to have it out in time that's but really we have neat. a we have a pretty um tight schedule with the releases so every release we do comes out on the 15th of the month oh okay so we wanted to keep it standard so people yes. know i like that oh, you know the 15th we can expect a new slashic book um, and you have one so, lined up for every month. Yeah, 2024 oh my gosh. is congratulations. So what we decided was because um, burnout is real. Yes, we decided that we're going to take two months of the year without a release. Good. But to compensate for that, two of the other months we'll have two releases. Okay. Okay. So we're, so we're going to do 12 books a year. That's yes. pretty much the most that we can handle. Absolutely. It's probably more. I was going to say, maybe a little bit <laughs> many for two, but okay. Um, but yeah, so every 15th, um, excluding um, uh, June and December, mm -hmm. there will be a release. And every 15th, according to US time, EST, will there will be a, uh, a live Instagram book launch. I think that's so lovely. There, you know, there are so many obviously advantages and advantages to the the world we live in now that like you could 
have a partnership with someone in the UK. But like, I don't know, the the romantic in me just misses that idea of there being able to be like a launch party, right? Where like everyone comes together yeah. and just celebrates the incredibleness that is a whole bunch of people giving a whole bunch of time and, and creativity to something. And so that's really, oh, that just makes me so happy. I think that's such a lovely <laughs> idea. I hope it works. And obviously you're more than welcome to come yes, along. Yes, yes. And I, I don't friends, t- <laughs> tend to do a ton of, I'm really bad about having time. Um, but, but I know that like my friends who, who have channels and do mainly YouTube live, but they do, you know, like there's just something lovely about celebrating synchronously, um, in the world where yeah. everything feels asynchronous. So that's, I agree. That's exciting. And the time yeah. will only be semi miserable for you and, and Lee if it's in, if it's in EST time. Um, it'll be 7 p.m. EST, and I'm, I don't know how many hours different to the no. U.S., but I think it should be okay. Okay. Plus, it's only one, it's only a one-off. Oh, that's like, true. That's true. Every month. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to be able to organize something like that for the authors. Yeah. Because we already have, I think, like five or six titles out. And we didn't do that for any of them. And I always felt terrible because I'm like, no one's celebrating with you. Like I'm messaging you saying, yeah. oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. Um, congratulations. And and they're excited in their own little bubble. Sure, but sure. To be able to share it. So. Oh, that's so lovely. So you've told me about Slash Horror Press. The, the fifth question I think you've answered beautifully, which is just like, how do we reconcile, especially, um, you know, as, as a queer artist and, and I myself as, as a queer scholar, like how do we reconcile horror with the, the things it does to others? Um, so you've answered that question lovely. So I'm going to just kind of end with our final one, which is just more opportunities for you to tell me uh, a little bit about what's next for you specifically, David Jack, what's mm-hmm. next for Slash Horror Press. I know your website is actually really nice. Um, websites are often not very nice yeah um and it it was it's very easy to use is that where people would go to find everything for or should they also be i assume that's where they can find social media information too right yeah so at the top top right on the on the website they've got the little links to you know twitter and instagram Mm -hmm. and things um you can pretty much just on every social media follow us on i think it's just at slashic horror press perfect um we tried to make it the same for everything so good and i have a TikTok that god um i'm really not great at it uh but i'm trying and so i have this TikTok account that's also at slashy horror press but it's um yeah so check me out on there and um follow me so let's let's assume that this episode doesn't come out in time for um, Desert Island questions. What is your February 15 release? Okay, so this is a sapphic novella called Pyramidia. And okay. it's by Stephanie Sanders Jacob. She has written this really cool, she calls them MGMs, but I call them pyramid schemes. Yes. Um, and it's this novella about this woman who moves to a new town for a teaching job and she sort of gets pulled into this community of or or this group of women who are everything that she thinks she's not Mm. you know they're grateful and 
um, beautiful and flawless and blah, blah, blah. And she ends up um, getting involved in their um, MGM, mm-hmm. which, is, it, which is selling this addictive tea called Serenity. Oh, that's interesting. And I won't say any more about the plot. Yeah. Um, it's a fun read. It's um, actually, I think it's a novel. It's not a novella. Sorry. Oh, that's, that's exciting. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun. We had a great time um, workshopping ideas for the cover. And it's, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So that comes out February 15. Perfect. And we normally do four weeks of pre-orders. Okay. Um, because I, I found with when we released Raven's Creek, that was our first release, we had the pre-orders for like six weeks or... Mm. Um, no, it was longer than that. It was like 10 weeks or something. Oh, that's a long time, yeah. Um, and it's okay if you, you know, keep plugging it, but then it's almost like people are going to get sick of seeing it mm-hmm. and then they're obviously not going to pre-order it because they got annoyed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so um, that's what I think anyway. So we normally do about four weeks and we, you know, just plug it a couple of times during that on the different channels, um, and that seems to help with pre-orders. Um but yeah, so she'll be doing, Stephanie will be doing a launch on the 15th as well. Perfect. Um, and I know pre-orders yeah. are really important. At least that's well, what the internet tells it, me. Maybe it's not true. It really depends on your goals, actually. Because okay. I was, I was doing some research on this and it, um, it depends on what sort of book you're doing. It depends on okay. what sort of, um, what sort of release you want so you could do something that creates a bit more mystique around it no pre-orders and then it's just like available soon and you ask you know you pose questions to people like you know what is such and such and then find Mm. out this date i see and then yeah you know people excited for the release then you hold the launch and then you you tell them to buy it at the launch and yeah so it really does depend okay yeah perfect and on your website if if people were interested in going through the process to potentially become ARC readers or to submit, all of that is available for information on the site? Okay, perfect. The ARC thing, um, just email us. Okay, perfect. um, At slashicorapress at gmail.com. But for the submission process, that's all on there. We're closed at the moment um, because we've we've got our 2024 schedule done. It's exciting. Um, it was done in like September. It was crazy. Oh my gosh, good for you. Um, and so we're going to be reopening again in June. Okay. For, for, for 2025. Perfect. And then yeah. your, I mean, you, you yourself have a couple of things coming out yes. in the foreseeable so what's, Yeah. What's next for me? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this is that self-promotion thing I was talking about. I know, about. I know, I know. Suddenly I'm all clammy and I'm like, I want to go home. (laughs) Um, So uh, I mentioned earlier, April is my next release. It's called The Count and that's the twist on vampirism. Mm -hmm. Um, People seem to be enjoying it so far. Uh, Got some really cool blurbs for it too. Um, Got one from Steve Strad, who's, who's, um, quite popular and I got I'm getting one from Brianna Morgan and That's great. Um, I'm just, I'm so excited um, about that and also just to connect with them in general right yeah, but, yeah. Um, so that's in April then 
the next release that I have is November and that's the short story collection. So the short story collection, Hell is Other People, is a combination or a, I guess a, um, a collation of stories that I've had published previously okay. that I'm re-releasing and also re-editing, um, <laughs> as well as some new some new additions that people haven't seen before. Oh, that's exciting. And is the count novel length, novella length, somewhere in between? It's a novel. Perfect. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so the Hell is Other People one, there's a story in there I'm really excited about called An Honest Worm. Mm. And um, it's a body horror thing, but the reason I'm mentioning it is because it goes back to some of the things we were saying before about, um, you know, what should horror do and yeah. that sort of stuff. So this one is about body positivity. Oh, that's and interesting. Sort of challenging notions of normativity, normal bodies, what bodies should be capable of, what we should look like. Hmm. So it's about this gay bear, obviously, because <laughs> I love him, um, who he gets rejected a lot on Growler, which is like a gay bear version of Grindr. <laughs> uh, and I love the name of it. Yeah, and, no, that's um, amazing. <laughs> and he starts to feel really bad about his weight. So he starts, you know, looking up um, treatments and things like that that don't involve going to the gym. And he discovers there's this, uh, there's this new elite treatment at mm. a gorgeous spa at the top of a mountain. Mm. And it's, he's like, I'll do it, you know, I'll, I'll do anything at this point. But it's called, the treatment is called magic mud. Mm. And you're supposed to just sit in it and the weight will just seep out. Like the fat cells mm. will just seep out of your pores. Mm. I don't even know if that's scientifically possible, but mm. in my book it is. Absolutely. And, um, so I'm really excited about it because once they get into the magic mud, <clears throat> some uh, really, really gross, uh, fun things start to happen. Yeah, I was assuming it wasn't going to end uh, <laughs> with like the <laughs> end. <laughs> Oh, that sounds great. Um, that is exciting. Yeah, thank you. So I'm, I'm really excited about that that story in particular. Yes. Um, and is that a new one to the collection? Or is it that is. One? Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. So no one's no one has read it. Oh, that's exciting. And yeah. is that coming out through Slashic or is that coming out through another press? Through Slashic. Perfect. So um, other than that, now I'm working on the next book, <laughs> which is called Indentured. And it's, it was supposed to be a horror comedy, um, but it's not coming out funny. And I've decided that that's okay. Um, I want it, I want the story to just sort of reveal itself as sometimes they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's quite grim, but it's essentially about a father and son. The father is aging, he's elderly in a, in a home. Um, and the son gets him a pair of dentures because he knows. Oh, I was hoping teeth. that's where that was going to go. I was hoping there'd yeah. be fun. Excellent. Okay. Um, and the teeth are cursed. So basically mm. whoever wears the teeth has to eat what the teeth wants them to eat. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and of course that's human beings. So it's a story. Of course. What else would a denture want? <laughs> It's a story about cannibalism, um, about family bonding, about long-held, um, long-buried family secrets. Mm. 
Um, and basically the son decides he wants to help, you know, in order to get closer to his father and, and build on a relationship with him, he's going to help him get new victims mm. for the teeth. Interesting. Yeah, so. Oh, that's great. I'm so excited. <laughs> Just your average denture story. That's yeah, amazing. So other than that, um, I mean, I assume I at some point you sleep, right? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, not last night. I didn't. I, I stayed up watching Renfield, uh, which I, I oh. thought was really fun. I was pleasantly, cause I wasn't sure, you know, I wanted to like it. Um, but I, you know, have learned to just have low expectations when it comes to most films now, but I, it was, it was, it was delightfully goofy yeah. in all the ways it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the, the whole like toxic relationship thing. And, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the other group members at the, you yes. know, at DRAAG group. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, there were so many things about it that I love. Yes. And all the, like the limbs flying around. I know I was, just... I, the, the, the violence was handled so perfectly and so comedically. Yeah. Like it was a perfect example of how you can have a lot of gore and still have it be very amusing. So that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but other than last yeah. night, I assume you sleep somewhere in, but you said you have a whole like spreadsheet. I have a just of, like, Wow. Okay. So at my desk in the office, I've got this whiteboard and it's just the titles that I want to work on. Oh, that's. Um, I, I just do the titles for some reason. Mm. And then when I see the word or the, you know, what the title is, that's what I'm, I, I know what it is. I know mm -hmm. what I'm going to write it down. <laughs> I have a couple of notes stashed away somewhere, but inevitably I don't look at them. <laughs> um, so I've got, including indentured, I've got six books that need to be written. Um, and I hope they're all a bit different, but I was also talking to someone the other day who suggested um, that I submit to Leith Press mm. um, or an, another press. Sure. And I said, well, why, why would I do that when I have my own mm -hmm. imprint? And they said, well, it can be nice to let to sit back and let someone else handle all that stuff so you oh, can that's keep true. building your brand. And I said, oh, I hadn't actually thought about that. And that's yeah. such an amazing idea. So if Leith will have me, um, yeah. I might submit one or two to them. <laughs> that would be nice to like get to to just be the author for a minute. Uh, and yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, you know, and then it would also open up potentially two more spots in our sure. lineup sure. Um, to get more pieces out there. So yeah, and I'm thinking about it. the list on the whiteboard are some of those titles, short stories as well, or is it novels for the next little bit? Okay. I, I love writing novels. Yeah. Um, I started with short stories, so I have been writing for the longest time mm -hmm. but then when i fell into academia which <laughs> i didn't intend to do uh like none of us intend to yeah. right it's sort of just like oh do you want a job teaching and you're like yeah sure money's money and then they're like oh this position's come up you should apply and you're like sure more money huh. more money <laughs> and then you find out that you're 60 years old and don't know where your life went but uh... yep yep <laughs> there is that <laughs> but um so when I fell into academia, I was doing my PhD and I was working three different jobs yep. all in academia. Um, and also trying to do papers outside of the PhD and everything to mm -hmm. get my, get my publishing thing up, which never actually happened. Um, and so I stopped writing for about a decade mm -hmm. and so miserable 
for portions of that because I just missed it so much. Yeah. So um, when I decided to get back into writing, it was actually because I was getting um, bullied and harassed in the workplace. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for that. Good attempts. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and um, so then I decided I want to start pursuing something that's really important to me, um, and that's my writing. So it started with short stories to help me get back into the process of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, help the creative juices flow a little bit. And I think that seemed to work really well. And now I love writing um, oh. novel. Having right. said that, though, I did recently write a story. One of my friends also in the UK said to me, there's this open call and I, I really like your work, so you should submit hmm. to it. And I said no twice because I'm like, <laughs> I just don't have time for that. And then one day I, I found myself sitting on the couch with some spare time and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just, I'm going to just write this story. So it took me about two hours, four mm. and a half thousand words and, um, did a quick edit, sent it off. Um, and they came back to me two days later saying, um, we've shortlisted you mm. and we'll let you February. And I was just like, that actually made me feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. There so, is definitely something about the quick quicker turnaround right like no one's like i wrote a novel in a couple hours the other day you know there's something about that like yeah. the the instant potential for instant gratification that's a little hard to sometimes like yeah because i had i had told a few people oh you know they've asked me to and i'm, I'm not going to do it and no one really cared they were just like oh, okay cool <laughs> and then it just demotivated me even more yeah, and then yeah. i think that actually but that actually i think led to me saying to myself no i'm gonna do this because why not yeah. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, that one is about a haunted hairbrush. Excellent. <laughs> Which Excellent. I'm not sure has been done before. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm like going through the list. I don't I don't know of any. So that's that's exciting. <laughs> that's very exciting. Well, yeah, I have so. kept you more than enough time uh, for today because you no, have like a whole no. You have a whiteboard to get back to, right? So <laughs> every minute here is a. Oh, I'm so sorry. Then you're probably like, let's have this interview last longer. <laughs> yeah, we haven't started the term yet, so I'm I'm not using you as procrastination, but often these interviews are. But thank you so much, David Jack. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, to everyone listening, uh, you can see all the Linktree stuff, all the links. You should reach out to David Jack. You should reach out to Slashic, Slashic Horror Press. Um, and to those of you listening, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And David Jack, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've had a great time. David Jack Fletcher is a writer and scholar hailing from Australia. With a PhD from Macquarie University in Cultural Studies, he wrote for over a decade in an academic setting before, in his words, jumping out of academia to pursue his dream of becoming a horror author and editor. To that end, he has a postgraduate certificate in editing and publishing from the University of Southern Queensland, and he completed an internship with Sydney-based Spineless Wonders. Additionally, he was awarded a mentorship with the Australasian Horror Writers Association in 2022, undertaken with award-winning author Paul Mannering. David Jack has published short stories in several horror anthologies across the UK, the US, and Canada, and has appeared in international podcasts and interviews. Furthermore, his debut gay horror comedy, The Haunting of Harry Peck, 
was published by Rack and Rune Publishing in February 2022 and became an international Amazon bestseller. And his latest award-winning novel, Raven's Creek, is now available through all major retailers, published through his own imprint, Slashic Horror. For more information, visit his link tree.